0: Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, November 7th, 2021. Welcome to The Way R122 Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live, and uh, first Sunday in November. This year is almost over um, as we head into the holiday season. Thank you for being here today. Uh, The title of the message today is Called by God, and it is the second message in the book of Galatians. It's based on Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. So we continue in the book of Galatians today. Uh, So before we get into today's message, why don't we pray, and then we will continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today, even at a distance, uh, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to uh, to learn of you, to learn of you through your word and to uh, celebrate the message of the gospel and Lord I ask that you would use your word today and that this message uh, would go forth powerful would go forth powerfully and that it would be a blessing to all that hear it that you would edify and strengthen and nourish the saints. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that this message uh, would open their hearts to the truth of the gospel and uh, draw them to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the title of the message, Called by God, based on Galatians 1, 10 through 24. Um, If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 1 and uh, the last few weeks, I've not been putting the verses up on the screen. I hope that's okay with you guys. It just makes it easier for me to focus on the message instead of having to concentrate on whether I'm going um, from ver- from verse to verse uh, on the screen. So, and I also just think it's a good idea to have our Bibles and to get used to uh, looking at the printed word of God in our Bibles. So turn to Galatians one, and we're going to begin in, uh, Galatians 1, verse 10 through 24. And again, this is Paul speaking. And he says, For I am not, for am I now seeking the approval, the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So obviously this is a continuation of last week's message, Where we saw that Paul, after greeting the Corinthian church, quickly moved directly into admonishing them for deserting the truth of the gospel that he had presented to them, that he had preached to them, and that they should have been grounded in. He had heard news that they had been led astray. By false teachers who were claiming that salvation was not just based on faith in Christ, but also on works. And that's what we're going to see more today. So, right after that very strong um, admonition in which Paul says uh, in verses eight and nine from last week, he said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul was very upset with the condition of the Galatian church, the news that he'd received that they had been led astray by false teachings, and he's writing this letter to call out the false teachings expose it for what it is proclaim the truth of the gospel and also at the same time to defend himself as an apostle because he was also being attacked personally and that's where we begin the message today so if we look at verse 10 Galatians 1:10 Paul says for I am for am i now seeking the approval the approval the approval of man or of God or am i trying to please man If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So following on the twice-repeated accursed of verses 8 and 9, Paul conveys the reason for the corrupting of the gospel in the church of Galatia. And that reason was that they were seeking to please man rather than to serve God. And again, this is another one of these reasons why God's word is always relevant regardless of the time or age in which we live, because these same problems have been occurring in the church since day one. We have the same problem now. As I state over and over again, the modern church is in a terrible place. When you look at the visible church, not the, the true body of Christ, but what the world sees as modern Christianity, it is in, there, there's so much chaos and so much confusion and so much false teaching, and it really comes back to, because of seeking to please man rather than serving God, twisting the message of the gospel, twisting God's word, changing that message to be pleasing to man rather than simply serving God and proclaiming the gospel that he has blessed us with. Now, Paul's opponents in Galatia, they were attacking, like I said earlier, not only the message, which was the gospel, but also the messenger was Paul and they were claiming that he preached an easy gospel that didn't require circumcision, obedience to Sabbath laws and dietary restrictions but only faith in Christ as the Messiah. Now you can understand how this false teaching would have come about especially during these times because what Paul was preaching was totally was completely contrary to everything that the Jews understood the jews were raised to be circumcised to be obedient to god's law to the sabbath laws to dietary restrictions to the to to the judaic ceremonial way of living to, to the traditions of their fathers paul was uh, the jews were raised on that so what paul was teaching was so radically contrary to that that the majority of Jews couldn't even comprehend what he was saying. And this is why it is so important to understand that they could not come to believe just like anyone else can come to believe unless it's by the grace of God working in them. So they were trying to add works to faith in Jesus Christ in order to have salvation. And this is where they were very wrong. And this is what Paul was trying to address. We have the same problem nowadays. Like I said, I think it was last week. Just about every false teaching, especially those that claim to be Christian but are not, and again, like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Roman Catholicism, they all claim that some type of works or self-righteousness must be added to faith in Jesus Christ. They cannot accept that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. But that is the truth of the gospel. So this is the the attacks and the false teaching that Paul was fighting against. In verses 11 and 12, he writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's very clearly making the point that he did not go somewhere to be instructed of this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not something that he went to school and learned. He was given this gospel message by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is defending himself against his opponent's charges that he is rebelling against the Jerusalem apostles who gave him his his authority. They're trying to claim that the, the, the apostles who walked with Christ in Jerusalem provided Paul with this gospel message and gave him the authority to preach it. And that now he was going against what they had taught him or what they had given him the authority to preach. They didn't understand that his authority came from God. So again, I'm going to repeat this sentence. Paul is defending himself against his opponent's charges that he is rebelling against the Jerusalem apostles who gave him his authority, or that his gospel is at odds with theirs. He's defending himself against these false false accusations. Paul argues that the gospel he preaches and the authority by which he preaches it is from God alone the apostles in Jerusalem did not provide the gospel that Paul Paul preached, nor did they grant him the authority to preach it. Rather, they confirmed that the message of the gospel and Paul's authority to preach it were from God alone. So when he met with the, the apostles in Jerusalem, the church leaders he was basically laying before them the message of the gospel that he was presenting with, to the Gentiles, and it was the same gospel that they knew and believed in and understood and that they were preaching. So they they affirmed each other's gospel message because they had both been revealed, this gospel message, from the Lord. So they were confirming what Paul was preaching, and they were confirming his authority that had been bestowed on him by God. They were not giving him a gospel message, and they were not giving him authority. They did not have the ability to, they didn't have the authority to grant Paul authority. The only authority we have to preach is the authority that comes from God. And he says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul's conversion and how he came to Christ, it's one of the most fascinating stories of transformation and being born again that we have in the scriptures. If you look at Acts chapter 26, uh, verses 13 through 18, this is at the end of Paul's ministry. He, he, in Acts, we read about Paul's conversion. And then a couple times throughout the book, uh, book of Acts, throughout Paul's ministry, he reiterates this story to individuals explaining the power of his conversion and the revelation that was given him in Jesus Christ. But the one I've chose to share with you today is the one that Paul made to the king towards the end of his ministry as he was going on trial. And he says, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and, who's, and those who journeyed with me, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul, on his way to Damascus, while he was totally engaged in persecuting the church and sending Christian believers to trial and death, was literally stopped on that road by the Lord and the Lord's glory shone around him. And that's when the Lord told him, this is what you're going to do from now on. That's the time when the Lord was bringing him to belief and faith in him and setting him on the road in Christian ministry. Verses 13 and 14 says, say, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He says how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I'll give you three examples of this from the book of Acts. In 7.58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was Paul's name until he was converted, and the Lord said, You will now be called Paul. But this this episode is talking about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen preached one of the most beautiful gospel messages we have in Scripture, and it's so Incensed and angered the Jewish leadership that he was stoned and killed for his proclamation of the gospel. And when that happened, Paul was there approving of what was taking place. And it says that they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. In Acts 8 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts 9, 1 and 2, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is the trip he was making when the Lord radically changed him on that road to Damascus. So Paul is making the point that the truth of the gospel he preaches did not come to him through li- through his life in Judaism before he was converted. He's trying to make the point to Jews that are hearing him that I was a very zealous Jew. He lived to to his highest ability according to Jewish law and tradition, but the thing that he's trying to get across to them now is that that was not sufficient for salvation. He's making the point that the truth of the gospel he preaches didn't come to him through his life in Judaism before he was converted. In Philippians 3, 4-6, Paul writes, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Before his conversion, he probably took great pride in in his uh, life in Judaism, but now he realizes that that did nothing for him he views his own experience as proof that zeal for the law and jewish tradition was not sufficient for salvation in romans 9:30 uh, to verses 10:4 paul writes what shall we say then that gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it that is a righteousness that is by faith but that israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law why because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about Jews. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I'm going to restate the beginning of that. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. The point he's getting across is salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what the Jews were fighting him on. They could not understand that and they could not accept it. But now we get into a really interesting portion of these scriptures theologically. And this is really the the main focus of today's message. In verses 15 through 18, Paul writes, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after 3 years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Uh, Cephas is Peter. What we see here is one of the many instances instances in scripture where the doctrines of predestination, God's sovereign choice and election are clearly proclaimed and we're seeing a we're seeing a beautiful example of it in Paul. Even though Paul was in rebellion against God violently persecuting the church, he was still of the elect, and God turned the evil that Paul was engaged in to good for the cause of the gospel. Paul says that he was set apart at birth, he was called by grace, the Son revealed himself to him, and he was now preaching to the Gentiles, because that is the the, the path that the Lord set him on. But let's look at this section by section. It says, "But when he who had set me apart before I was born." Often, when we think of uh, the doctrines of predestination and election, we tend to think of them in a New Testament context. We always want to go to the, you know, to Romans nine, which is fine. But one of the things I really love about these doctrines is they are all through Scripture, not just in the New Testament and not just in the book of Romans. If we look at Jeremiah 1 5, that prophet said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet. To the nations. In Isaiah 49 1, that prophet says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. And again in Isaiah 49 5, it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So we see from Jeremiah and Isaiah there, they are both talking about the fact that they were predestined, created specifically for the roles that they would carry in the message of the gospel. So Paul is conscious that his apostleship in a New Testament context is in continuity with the Old Testament prophetic tradition. In Romans 15, 8 through 12, he writes, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all of you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesus will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles Hope so. Paul is making all these references to Old Testament prophecies that talk about the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's eternal plan of salvation, and he knew that his apostleship, which he was, which the Lord set him apart for from birth, was in that same uh, tradition that the Old Testament prophets worked in. And he says, "And who called me by His grace?" The grace of God is what called Paul to belief, faith, and apostleship. The grace of God is, is what calls the elect to belief, faith, and salvation in Jesus Christ. He knows us before we are born and leads us to Christ. God's call is a free gift of grace, of grace. It is undeserved and it cannot be earned. Romans 9:10 through 13 says, and not only so. But also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Folks, I'll tell you, if you ever get into a Discussion with someone who denies the doctrines of election and predestination. And usually if that's the case, they will um, lean towards what's called universal salvation. They will believe that when Christ died on the cross, that he was dying for the sins of every human being that ever existed, that his, his, his atoning sacrifice was for all of humanity, every human being that ever existed. It's put out there, and all we have to do is accept Christ and believe that, and we'll be saved. If that's the case, then you would have they would have to say, well, then the next question is, do so you believe that God loves everyone? Christ died for everyone because God loves everyone and obviously they'll they'll say yes because that goes right along with that that idea of universal atonement which is what that's called. The only thing you have to ask him is well then what about Esau? Because right here we see in this book from in this section of Romans she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. Now, that word hated seems really severe, but we've got to understand, I believe, how would I explain this? I almost tend to look at it like the hatred that we have towards somebody is so severe compared to what God's talking about here, because Esau was still treated well by God, but compared to the love that he had for Jacob, that appeared to be hatred. Hopefully that makes sense, trying to, to paint a little bit of contrast there. But the point I'm trying to make is, is it very clearly says here that God, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. And then again, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, Paul writes, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So again, He talks about that truthful doctrine of election and predestination that is very difficult for many people to accept. But I'm telling you, folks, those are true Biblical doctrines. And one of the things that that really blows me away is that people will reject these doctrines when the actual words are in Scripture. Predestination, election is right there in Scripture. So you can't argue with them. Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles. And this is another area that I've seen people abuse. Paul was clearly called to preach to the Gentiles, but not exclusively to the Gentiles. I saw within the last few weeks uh, somewhere where uh, someone was trying to make the point that as Gentiles we are taught by Paul and Messianic Jews, Jews that come to Christ, are taught by Peter. So they read what Peter wrote, and we are to read what Paul wrote. They're trying to separate the two. It just it's so foolish to even consider because. It's common sense. Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles, but not exclusively to the Gentiles. You see, if Paul came across a group of Jews and they wanted, they were curious and started asking him about what he preached, he was not going to not preach the gospel to them by saying, Well, I was just called to preach to the Gentiles. No, he preached to Jews as well. His specific and very special calling, I guess you could say his, his specialty. He was a specialist in, especially at that time, presenting the gospel message to the Gentiles, but he also preached to Jews. And I'm sure Peter preached to Jews and also Gentiles. You see, Romans 1:14 through 16 proves my point. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which are the same people he's talking about talking about when he says Greeks and to barbarians. They considered anyone that wasn't Greek to be a barbarian. You see? So Paul would preach the message to anyone, but he had a very specific specialty that the Lord assigned him, and that was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which was very important at that time because the Gentiles were considered completely separate from the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't even want to associate with him. So it was such a radical message that was so contrary to anything that the Jews knew or understood or were familiar with that it was very important that Paul was set on that path to start breaking down that breaking down that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. So I just wanted to make that point. Now it says I did not immediately consult with anyone. And then later in verse 18 he says then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. Now this is another very important point that I wanted to to pull out of this portion of scripture today. That first point was that Paul is really hitting home the doctrines of election and predestination. The pervading uh, doctrine that over that's throughout this entire message is God's grace. But the main, the other main subpoint that I really wanted to get into was that was this message was this lesson that we learn when Paul says, "I did not immediately consult with anyone." And then again in verse 18 he says then after 3 years I went up to Jerusalem. The reason this is so important is because uh, there's a very important lesson in this. Paul did not rush into ministry. He took it slow. And this and and again think about this. How many Christians down through history have had the experience Paul had where well, you're going down the road and you're not just walking down the road, you're walking down the road on your way to persecute Christ's church, the body of Christ, and to arrest Christians and to send them away to trial and death. And then on that road, Christ himself overshadows you. The light of his glory surrounds you, and he speaks to you physically and says, why are you persecuting me? This is what you're going to do from now on. No one else in history. But the reason I bring that up is because even with that kind of an experience, Paul still didn't rush into ministry. He took it slow. I would suspect he spent those three years being guided and taught by the Holy Spirit, much time spent in prayer and the prayerful study of Scripture. He was meditating and contemplating and thinking about the things of God and about the truth of the gospel. He was savoring it, and he was growing in it. And the reason this is so important is because it's so common in the modern church for someone to become a Christian, or at least profess that they've become a Christian. Nowadays, it's so hard to tell because the gospel is lacking so severely. But it's common for someone to become a Christian and almost immediately begin some type of ministry. And again social media and Christian superstars on social media with massive followings and popularity have increased this issue substantially. I can't tell you how many people I've come across in ministry in, in the last 10 years that have come out of drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is and you know within a week they've made the decision that I'm going to Bible school, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to do this ministry, I'm going to do this ministry. This is just after a few days or weeks, maybe months, but, but it's almost immediate. They've made this decision to go into ministry. And anybody that's been in ministry for any amount of time will tell you that that is probably going to not be the direction they go. Or if they do go in that direction, it's going to end up badly but it is very, very common in the modern church. And again, especially because there is so much of this superstardom and social media popularity and everything else that takes place in modern Christianity. It's become so worldly. I mean, I know there's one false teacher that that was prominent here in the Boise area for a while, and I remember him talking about that his desire – was to be a Christian scholar. He never talked about his call, what Christ was leading him to do. Basically, his whole desire was just to be a Christian scholar. And so he, he, he got his education. He started writing books. And this guy was a train wreck. He caused so much damage in people's lives because he wasn't doing what he was called to do. He was doing what he wanted to see himself doing in ministry. And this is a very big problem nowadays. I can tell you from my own background I went into ministry originally with the wrong pretenses, with the wrong idea, with the wrong vision of what I was going to do. It was much too humanistic. It was much too self-centered. I did not know enough at the time about the gospel. But luckily, the Lord brought me through that to where I am now. And He still is constantly changing my direction a little bit, correcting me when I'm wrong. And helping me to stay on the path that I need to be on. But I never believed I would be now, where I'm at now, when I started. The Lord works all things for good. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that even Paul says that after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. He did not dive into what he was doing right away. Paul was called by God he was led by god and he waited on god to teach and guide him now i think in those 3 years paul probably preached probably he probably did some work but he was just trying to figure out the path that was before him you see so we need to slow down and see where the lord's guiding us consider that christ spent 3 years in ministry and the reason i bring that up is much is accomplished in the cause of god in the very short time if it's done according to God's will and to his glory. Or there are those that have spent lifetimes in the wrong type of work and accomplished very little. You see? Now think about Paul's past. Paul's past was horrific to consider. He was an outright enemy of the Lord, persecuting and sending believers to their deaths. But Christ transformed him mightily made him a new creation, and set him on the path of service in the cause of the gospel. Now, I'm sure Satan used Paul's past against him, throwing it up before him to instill feelings of guilt and remorse. Satan is an accuser, and Paul's past gave Satan much to use against him. Satan means adversary. Devil means slanderer or false accuser. And we know from Scripture that Paul was profoundly ashamed of his past. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. The peace and joy that we have in the Lord are in the moment. When we are centered in the moment, communing in fellowship with the Lord, meditating on him and his word, we are blessed with his peace and joy. We are at rest. This is the last place Satan wants us to be. So he uses whatever he can to draw us into the past by bringing up our past sins and transgressions, trapping us in guilt, remorse, and regret. Or he will attempt to draw us into worries and fears about the future, doing all he can to weaken our faith and chip away at our belief. Consider the battles Paul must have fought in the spirit as Satan tried to move him off of the narrow way through such methods. I believe that these struggles of Paul helped him mature into a mighty man of prayer. The evil Paul had done and Satan's attempts to use it against him, I believe, the Lord used for good. The main point I'm trying to get across here is that Paul probably his entire life wrestled with the memory of what he had done before coming to christ romans 8 28 says and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose genesis 50 20 says as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today the first one is is a common verse that's used Constantly, Romans eight twenty eight. God uses all things for the good of those that are called according to his will and purpose. And God used Paul's history and his past to shape him into the apostle that he was to become. And in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph is explaining to his brothers that even though you sold me into slavery, you betrayed me, you treated me so poorly, God used that for good. So Paul understood that as well. Also, because of these spiritual battles, Paul had a profound understanding of God's grace, mercy, patience, and love. The gospel was so precious to him because of what it did to him in spite of who he was. He saw God's grace in overcoming rebellious sin through it. Because of who Paul was, because of the things that he did, God's grace must have just been absolutely mind-blowing to him. When he contemplated God's love and mercy and patience and grace and his own life, that's one of the reasons that he wrote so passionately and effectively about it. That's why we are so blessed with his letters. I'm going to give you four examples here. Acts 22, 4 through 5 says, I persecuted the way to the death. He's talking about the church. It was originally called the way. Binding and delivering to prison, both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I re- from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who are there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Acts 26, 9-11 says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And in 1 Timothy 1:13 1, and 14, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When you study Paul's past, you start to see why his writing was so passionate and powerful. In verse nineteen, he says, "But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother." James at first didn't believe in Jesus, even though he was his brother. In John seven five, it says, "For not even his brothers believed in him." But he later came to believe, most likely as a result of seeing Jesus after his resurrection. First Corinthians fifteen seven says, "Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." And then James emerged as a recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I'll close with Galatians 1:23-24. 20 and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Again, that expands that point that I was making earlier. What Paul was, was remembered by these people. And now to see him preaching the gospel and being a faithful faithful follower, believing in Christ and serving him, they glorified God because of what was being done in Paul and by Paul and through Paul. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I just ask that you would enable us to have a greater understanding of your grace, of the amazing and uh, mysterious doctrines of election, predestination, and your sovereignty. And Lord, I ask as we move into the coming week that you would open doors for us to proclaim the gospel to others, that you would strengthen our faith, deepen our belief, that you would bless us with courage, and confidence as we go forth in the message of the gospel and that you would guide us and keep us on the narrow path. And we just thank you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, you guys, thank you for being here today. Um, If you get a chance, please visit us at elephantwalk.net it is our sponsor business for the ministry we've got a whole new shipment of merchandise coming in from kenya that is arriving here tomorrow that we will be adding to the website and to our uh etsy store Please take a chance to check that out. Uh, If you're interested in something and you make a purchase, just type the way all lowercase, um, no spaces between the words for 10% off at checkout. And you can find that business at elephantwalk.net. And that goes to supporting the work of the ministry, both here and in Kenya. Uh, You can find us on the web at the way, the letter R, 122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And I just got a notification this morning that the podcast has now gone over 14,000 downloads. It was only a couple months ago when we we went over 12,000, so it's uh, growing exponentially. Just go to christianpodcastcommunity.org type The Way Radio in the search field. And the podcast is basically my sermons, uh, just the audio. And I try to publish those the following Wednesday after preaching the sermon on Sunday. Sometimes I'm later. I think this week's i published on uh, either Friday or Saturday this week. You can find us on Rumble at The Way, the letter R122. And please consider supporting the ministry. We've got a lot of work to do here. Like I said, the podcast is growing. Um, I'm really excited to start planning the next trip to Kenya, hopefully early next year. I've got a lot of churches now from Kenya asking me for Bibles. We've got our main church that we're working with there. That's my friend, Pastor Patrick's church in Nairobi. I'm also trying to help my friend David's church in Kesey. And there's another pastor I know in Kesey that is trying to uh, take care of his church there. So I know a lot of pastors, Uh, even if we're not directly affiliated with them. Uh, that are receiving our sermons every week that I'm sending teaching materials to, but there's always a shortage of Bibles there, so please consider donating at The Way, the letter R122.org. We're hoping to do really well with fundraising here at the end of the year so we can kick off 2022 and really be running um, because it's been tough with the whole COVID thing the last couple of years, and I'm anxious to just get things moving quicker and to start accomplishing more. We've been doing a lot work, but I just feel like the Lord wants us to do more, and I'm real excited to get back, especially to Patrick's church, and help him really establish the Bible school, uh, to do more to help the teachers and the students of his two elementary schools, uh, the one in Kesey and the one in Nairobi, and just to continue in the work that the Lord's led us to there. All right, thank you so much for watching, and we will be back here next Sunday, 1 p.m., same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care.